Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to be tonight. Isaiah chapter number 40. Isaiah lets it be known from the very beginning what his purpose is in this, uh, in this chapter. He lets it be known very clearly from the very first verse. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. God wants for his people to know his comfort. It's a comfort that cannot come from a counselor, although a counselor maybe can be helpful. This comfort cannot come from pop psychology, cannot come from a bottle. Um, Folks, this comfort that he's talking about comes from God. And I want us to to look at this today, God's people. uh, Without getting bogged down, I don't want to go into why they were in the midst of a struggle. Um, because this is the, 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 the truth of God's word and whether it's a struggle that's been caused by your own making or a struggle that has come to you totally by the, the cause of other people or other circumstances, it doesn't matter. God, in the midst of our struggles, God wants us to know his comfort. We're really going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, at the end of the chapter, we're going to be in verse number 27. Listen to what it says, starting in verse 27. The problem is this, in the midst of their struggles, these people are doubting God. They're doubting God's, they're, they're, they're questioning him. Um, they've even come to the place, I really believe, that they are sort of making accusations. It's one thing to struggle and to ask questions. Folks, um, Mary finds out that she's going to have a baby and she's never known a man. She had questions, Okay. Um, but at the same time, Zechariah found out that Elizabeth was going to have a baby, and, and he had questions too, only, only he was, God, God made him um, unable to speak until the baby was arrived. There must have been something different about his questions. Um, and so it's one thing to have questions. Man, I think the Bible gives us a way in which we lament in the midst of our struggles. It's I mean, man, you look at the, the, the uh, just under half of the Psalms are either in partially laments or in their entirety a lament. I mean, folks, God gave us a way to cry out in anguish and grief to him. So there is a fine line, apparently, between between struggling and struggling hard and having questions and apparently coming to the place where you're making accusations against God. And what I think we have here is I think that, that the people have, have, of, of God are leaning towards this side of making accusations. And we find, we find two things that they were saying about God in verse number 27. We'll start there. Verse number 27, it says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? And here they are. You ready? My way is hidden from the Lord. That's one. And my right is disregarded by my God. That's two. We're going to look at those two. Let's continue on, though. Verse 28. Have you not known? 
Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. His, but he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Can we pray this, this evening and ask God to help us as we come to his word? Father, would you please comfort us? Lord, I don't know, I don't know what's represented in this room. Maybe, there, maybe, maybe there's some real fear, worry, anxiety. Lord, maybe there's some uh, real trials represented in this room that are just full of heartache and sadness and grief. Lord, maybe there's some serious pain in this room physically. Um, Lord, I don't know. I have a feeling that if this room is, um, is a group of ordinary people, which I assume it is, then Lord, there's, there's probably struggles and hurt um, represented in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would, in your kindness, help your people to know your comfort. Lord, and we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Back in the um, early 80s, I believe it was 1981, there was a Jewish rabbi who wrote a book. His name was Kushner, Rabbi Kushner. He wrote a book, became a New York bestseller, a very uh, popular book. It was called, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? This, the book resurfaced again after 9-11. It kind of hit another surge as people are filled with questions of why would something like 9-11 happen. Resurfaced once again, really surged as people were once again introduced to this book. Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, I personally hope if you are here and you are a believer and a true follower of Jesus Christ, you understand that there's actually a fundamental flaw in the name of the book itself. But Rabbi Kushner... He actually, um, he actually took two different truths that are taught in the Bible. Okay, he was a Jewish rabbi. He would have believed the Old Testament. He took two different truths about God that are taught in the Bible, and he basically said, there's no way they can both be true. And bad things still happen to good people. So he he took the truth of God's word that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that nothing slips by him without his sovereign hand knowing and controlling and his, his sovereign mind um, understanding everything about it, that, that, that God is sovereign, okay? 
he took that truth of God's word, but then he also took the truth of God's word, the Old Testament, that God is a, a good God, that he is a loving God. And he took these two truths from the Bible about God, and he came to the conclusion that there's no way they could both be true and something that, like 9-11 happened. In his reasoning, something's got to give. So as you go through the book, you hear him rustling, and he finally comes to, to me, the horrifying conclusion. Now, both of them would be horrifying, but he landed on the side of saying, I refuse to give up that God is good and loving. So I have no choice to, but to believe that apparently God is just not in control. Now, folks, I don't know about you. There is no comfort in that. There is no comfort in believing that we are all just slaves to some blind fate and that there's no God who's in control. Folks, I am so thankful that my Bible teaches both. That we have a God who is 100% completely in control and at the same time 100% completely good and loving. Now folks, what we have as we come to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 27 is we actually find these two truths about God being attacked by his own people. Listen to what it says. We'll look at the first phrase first of verse number 27, or the, well, it's not the first phrase of the verse, but listen to what it says, this, the, the first accusation, I guess you could call it. Verse 27, and Isaiah asked them, he says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? And this is what they were saying. Here's the first one, are you ready? My way is hidden from the Lord. The first phrase that they were saying, the first statement they were saying is, God, you don't know what's going on. What's going on in our lives, what's going on in our nation, what's going on is hidden from you. You're not in control. You can't even see what's going on. God, it is hidden from you. You are not in control. You do not know what's going on in our lives. Now, folks, this is an easy, an easy thing to say against God, even if you're a even if you've been to church, even if you grew up going to Sunday school, even if you, folks, it's one thing, even if your, if your um, creed is good and your, um, your uh, statements of faith are up to speed biblically, folks, I'm still telling you, in the midst of a trial, folks, we start to waver sometimes. And the accusation against them was, God, you don't even know what's going on. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our heartache, God, you are sovereign. I want you to listen to how Isaiah answers. Let's skip on to the next verse, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You know what he said? He said, actually, there's no way 
that we can understand just how much he understands. Folks, it is so far beyond us, God's understanding of every single tiny detail of our life. This is a new language back up. I mentioned this actually yesterday when we sang the song, Behold Our God. If I'd been, if I'd been thinking straight, I should, we should have sang Behold Our God today because the text of Behold Our God, the song, comes from this passage. Look back at verse number 12. Listen to some of the things Isaiah has already said to the people. Really, God has said them to the people through the prophet Isaiah. Look at verse number 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked out heavens with a span? Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure and weigh the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Folks, there is an unspoken, you know, sarcastic question that's all but said. As Isaiah is asking, who else can do this? Who did he seek for counsel? Really, the only thing left to ask is Isaiah saying, did he come to you for counsel and understanding? Are you the one who showed God how to do what God has done? Folks, we have a God who is so far beyond anything we can understand. And he understands everything. I love what God says. Look over verse number, verse number 25. He does something in verse 25. God does this every once in a while. It, 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 this is not any more inspired than other parts of Scripture. But I love when God explodes to the surface and he grabs the first person in a statement and he just says something straight to us. It doesn't make it more inspired. But God just does this. For the most part, Isaiah talks about God in the third person. He, him. He does this. Doesn't he do this? Isn't he? And then all of a sudden, God, in verse number 25, he just grabs the first person and he explodes to the surface and he says, to whom then will you liken me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Just out of nowhere, God just explodes to the first person and he says, who are you comparing me to? In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your wondering, in the midst of your doubting, who are you comparing me to? That I would be like them, that I would be equal to them. He's just got through talking about their, their, their idols of gold and silver and stone and wood that they, would, uh, that they would raise up and bow down to. And it sort of sounds like Isaiah sort of mocking them. He says, and they, they, they take them to a you know, a, a, a workman who builds this statue that shall not be moved. And then God just comes right behind and says, who are you comparing me to? I love what he does, verse 26. You know what he does, verse 26? He actually gives us an object lesson. Basically, I mean just a straight-up illustration for us to have and to look at every single night of our life, weather permitting, when we're wondering if God's in control, what does he do? Look at verse number 26. He says this, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Folks, what is he talking about? He's talking about the stars. 
He said, when you want to know if I'm in control, would you just do this? Would you just go outside and look up at the stars? Folks, um, I, uh, the, the, the other day, a uh, couple, I guess about a month and a half ago, I'm trying to think time, uh, we, we, we actually broke down uh, getting to a church, and uh, I stayed with my trailer, and then my family actually went, and the church had somebody, uh, the, they, there was somebody in the church who had an Airbnb, kind of this little, co- this little cabin out in the woods. And so anyway, the next day I fixed the trailer and I made it on over there and then we stayed another night in the, in the, in the cabin. And it was just out. It was way away from the city. It was out. And I mean, you go out on this porch. My daughter was out on the porch. She said, hey, Dad, come out here. She said, you've got to check out these stars. I mean, we're just way away. We turned the lights off. Man, I mean, you just, it just, you got just pounded by that first layer of stars. And it's like, whoa. And then as you sit there and your eyes adjust, you see this hazy you know, next layer of stars that you know represents millions of stars. And you just can't even take it in. I love, I love watching videos and seeing things where, you know, all these, you know, creation scientists and all these things uh, where just shows, you know, different and shows, tell you different facts about, you know, different planets and, and, and uh, different stars and how big they are and how tiny, folks, we are so tiny. I mean, our our, our planet, the earth, is so tiny. We are a speck in comparison to some of the other stars that we found out there. It's just unbelievable. You, you, you see these things and you, you try to wrap your brain around these things. It's just too much. Uh, I, 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 I really love just to kind of help us see the vastness and God's control over the order of it. Have you ever, have you ever done any research as to how fast we are moving. Folks, we're moving. Did you know that we're moving? Okay, so let's just go through it real fast, right? First of all, we're spinning on our axis, right? Okay, so we're spinning on our axis. Um, How long does it take us to go one complete rotation? How long? 24 hours. We make one complete rotation. Now, if you're on the poles on the end, uh, you know, north or south pole, you're really actually not moving that fast. Really, it takes you 24 whole hours to do one of these, all right? That's That's all it is, all right? But now, if you're on the equator, on the equator, man, they got a lot of distance to make in 24 hours. You know how fast you have to be moving on the equator in order to make one complete rotation in 24 hours? 1,040 miles per hour. Man, I mean, that's why they're so much faster than us down in South America. I mean, <laughs> I mean they're like, they're cruising, all right? Folks, they, I mean, so 1,040 miles per hour on the equator. Um, but then at the same time, not only are we spinning on our axis, we also are spinning in rotation around the sun, right? In our, in our, in our, uh, uh, our uh, what, what am I trying to say? Uh, uh, our, yeah, in our orbit, but what's our solar system? Hello. Our solar system. Okay, we're 93 million miles from the sun. That trip all the way around is 600 million miles. And how long does it take us to make that trip? 365 days. Okay, one year, we go 600 million miles. Do the math. You know how, you know how fast we have to move in order to make 600 million miles? It's about 67 thousand miles per hour get that we are spinning at a thousand and forty but then we're also in a rotation around the sun in order to make 600 million miles in 24 hours we are traveling at us i mean in 365 days we are we are traveling at a speed of 67 thousand miles per hour not only that though our sun at the center of our solar system is traveling through the milky way 
our galaxy. Our galaxy is so huge. They say, it's a, it, we're going in a rotation. They say to make one complete rotation where we are in our galaxy, it's actually going to take 250 million years for us to make one complete rotation. Now, with my understanding of the young age of the earth, that means we've only gone like this far. But you know how fast we're moving? Folks, it's, I mean, I'm talking conservative numbers now, okay? It's, it's over 400 thousand miles per hour our sun is moving through the milky way and uh, and and then we're not even comparing ourselves to the other galaxies are they coming are they going are we go i mean folks it's unbelievable can i tell you the most conservative number i've ever seen and it goes way up from here the most conservative number I've ever seen as to how fast the earth in, in total is, is, is moving. It's, it's 1.3 million miles per hour. Now, folks, I just want you to get this. We're just sitting here in New England, and your hair's not even blowing. Folks, we are cruising. It's over the top. And you know what God says in verse number 26? He says, he says, when you want to know if I'm in control, I want you to go look at it. Have you ever wondered why he made it so big? I mean, why did he have to make it that big? Did he really have to make it that big? I mean, isn't it a little overkill? I mean, did you really have to go that big? I mean, folks, with our Hubble, you know, we're just cruising. We're just, we think we're big stuff taking our pictures. We, I mean, we haven't gone anywhere. And it's just so big. You know why he made it so big? Folks, just so that, he says right here, so that we can look at it and know that he's in control. Know that he's big. Listen to what he says about it. Look at what he says. Verse number 26. Lift up your, on, your eyes on high. See who created these things. He brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. Wouldn't you love to hear some of those names? He's got to be pretty creative. By the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. You know that phrase, not one is missing, you know what it means? It means not one of them is out of place. Not one of them is doing its own thing. Not a single one of them is, is rebelling against him. They all obey his voice. Can I tell you something else that obeys his voice? Every single tiny detail of Aaron Coffey's life obeys his voice. Folks, we have a God who is in control. Do we believe this in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our kids' struggles, in the midst of our financial struggles, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering? Do we really believe that he's in control? Or, or, and do we believe that he understands? Or are we like the people who say, God, our way is hidden from you. You don't even see me. You don't even know what's going on. Listen to the next thing that they say, verse 27. And if I can just be really, really honest with you. I really think that this one actually is maybe worse than the first one. But I... But I, I, I I think that I personally can almost lean towards um, doubting God in this one more than the first one. 
the second, phrase, the second thing that he says in verse 27, so let me read the whole verse. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? First thing they were saying is my way is hidden from the Lord. But then listen to this one. And my right is disregarded by my God. My right is disregarded by my God. What does that mean? That my rights is talking about a, basically what is right towards me or what is just towards me. Justice. Well, what a day to be talking about justice. What is just towards me. What I deserve. What is right towards me. He says is disregarded by my God. Now, the word disregarded there is very interesting because what does that, you know, what does it mean? It, does it mean that it, it slipped his, his notice? Um, you know what, the, the word actually, and it comes out in the King James, it says, the King James says, it's passed over by my God. You know what the word is? The same word is where we get the Passover. Um, was it when, when, when God was, when the, when the 10th plague was coming upon Egypt and, and, and the, the, the angel is coming to kill all of the firstborn. But when he saw the blood, did it just happen to slip his notice? And so that's why he accidentally passed over it? No, it's very intentional. This is what they're saying. God, you have come to what is right by me. You have come to what is just towards me. And I like the way the ESV says it. You intentionally you disregarded it you passed over it you came to me and what was right towards me and you intentionally turned away the first accusation is God you don't know you don't understand you're not in control the second accusation is okay fine God maybe you're in control then you just don't care God, you don't care. Um, folks, if I can just be really honest with you, I really think that a lot of times Christians, you take me, I mean, I grew up in Sunday school. I didn't get saved until I was 21. But I grew up, and I grew up in Sunday school. I grew up teaching that God's big and God's powerful and God's in control. Sure, I sang Jesus loves me a whole lot too. But I'm telling you, I, in the midst of trials, in the midst of concerns, I don't doubt that God's in control. But sometimes in the midst of it, I really doubt whether or not he is doing what's best towards me. Now, I wouldn't say those words. I would never say those words. And I think God really convicts me. But folks, in the midst of when I'm really struggling with God, you you, you know what struggling looks like for me? I complain. Are you ever a complainer? I mean, if you here, if you are here and you just never ever complain, man, um, Lord bless you. I mean, really, I'm just like that's got to be God's amazing grace at work in you. When I complain, you know what I'm saying? God, you're not doing what's best. I don't know why He doesn't check with me first. Um, uh, 
You know, when Carol Ann, remember Carol Ann? I talked about her yesterday. She was here with me, and her husband died in a car accident, and her and her son came back on the road. If you were here yesterday, I told this story about a girl who traveled with us. She's 24 years old. Her 24-year-old husband died, and then her and her son stayed with us, and we kind of walked with her through that valley of becoming a widow, losing her husband. She told me one day, she said, Aaron, she said, I don't doubt. She would just, we would just cry. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to dishonor him by not talking about him. So we just talked about him every day and just cried together every day. I mean, he was missing. He was there, and then he wasn't. He was there in every practice. He was there in every service. He was there in every children's program, every team, and just boom, he was gone. And so we just cried all the time. We didn't know what else to do. But... um. She told me one day, she said, Aaron, she said, I don't doubt God's in control. She said, I just don't. She said, I, she said that actually terrifies me to believe that, 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 that we're just, like I said earlier, slaves of a blind fate. She said, that is just like, or victims of a blind fate, I don't know. But she said, that just, she said, that just terrifies me. She said, I know and I believe that he is in control. And she said, I actually believe that he loves me. She said, but in the midst of his way up here control and love, she said, I really, really find myself doubting if he really cares how much I'm hurting. Does he really know how much I hurt? And does he care about my heart? You know, I just want you to listen to what he says. I'm just going to finished reading gone down through this have you not known have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he does not faint or grow weary his understanding is unsearchable now listen to verse 29 he gives power to the faint now when's the last time he talked about power it was up when he was talking about the universe and how vast it is, and how under control it is, and how that he, by the greatness of his might and his power, he, he's named them all, he's scattered them where they're at, he holds them all together, not a single one of them is out doing their own thing. That's the last time he talked about his power. And now look what he does with this power. He gives his power to those who are fainting, to those who are weary, to him who has no might, he increases strength. Folks, he sees us. He knows we're weary. He knows we're hurting. And his plan is to give us his power and his strength. I love verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. I mean, what does that verse say? Verse 30, even youths shall faint. I mean, they're not supposed to faint. The youths aren't supposed to faint. Now, my, my wife just signed me up. Signed me up for a turkey run on Thanksgiving morning. I do not know what she's thinking. I do not run like I used to. Thankfully, uh, now, what, what do turkeys do? I get, they waddle. No, those are ducks. Anyway, I'll be waddling, all right? I'll be waddling on Thanksgiving morning. Um, but uh, I'm not much of a runner. 
my kids are all whining. They don't want to do it. My son, Asher, you know, I'm like a gorilla. He's like a gazelle, you know. And I, uh, uh, he, he, uh, he's all whining. Man, I'm like, son, you're not going to run out of strength. You know, a young kid, 14 years old, strong. He's getting up every day doing his push-ups and his sit-ups. Um, you don't expect the youths to faint. You know what this text is saying? It's what we expect some people to go through trials. I mean, man, look at but, but he says even the youths faint. And the young men fall exhausted. What is that saying? It's saying that everybody has trials, folks. Everybody. It's, this isn't just, this isn't just the, the, the elderly who have physical struggles. It's not, it's not just some people who have financial struggles. Folks, it's across the board. We all have, I, I, when I used to travel with Steve Pett, I used to hear him say all the time, probably wasn't original with him, it sounds like a good old-timer statement, but I remember him saying all the time, he said, hey, listen, every single one of us are in one of three positions. You're either right smack dab in the middle of trouble, or you just got out of trouble, or hold on tight, trouble's waiting for you around the corner. Folks, trials come to all of us. And why is that? It's because God actually has plans of using our trials. What does he say in in James chapter 1? He says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters. When you find yourself in all different types, diverse struggles, trials. He calls them temptations, but he's not talking about sinful temptations. He's talking about trials, struggles. He He says, because the, the testing of your faith actually, the testing of your faith actually teaches patience and endurance in us. The word, the word there for patience and endurance, it's a great word. It's the Greek word hupomeno. It's a compound word. Meno means to remain. Hupo, the prefix, is talking about under. It's really talking about to remain under. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you are tested, when you have trials, when there are struggles. He says, because what this is doing is it's producing endurance in you. It's producing in you the ability to remain under. I don't know about you folks, when trials come in my life, when pressures come in my life, you know what I want? I'll just be honest. I want out from under. And he's saying, no, no, no. Stay under. Why? He says, because this testing of your faith that's working endurance in you is actually going to make you perfect and entire and wanting nothing. Folks, God's actually in the process of perfecting us. God is actually in the process of making us better. He says really in in Romans chapter 8, he says that he's conforming us to the image of his son. Do you want to be like him? If you're really saved, you know what? We want to be like Christ. Do we really want God to quit doing the work of making us like Christ? No, we want him to keep chipping away at who we are. We want him to keep doing this work. So these trials, they come to all of us. It's God at work in us and through the circumstances of our life to chip away at who we are to make us more and more like his son. But folks, in the midst of it, we struggle. 
in the midst of it. I'll, I'll never forget uh, Easter Sunday morning. Easter Sunday morning. Man, this, this was a long time ago. My daughter, who's now 16, she's up here playing with us and singing with us, now 16. Uh, Easter Sunday morning back, man, she was probably one, and uh, she wasn't two yet. It would have been one and a half because she was born in September. So Easter, so she's just a little thing, one and a half years old. Um, I'd finished preaching. We're out in the middle of just outside of Lansing, Michigan. And uh, my daughter, um, I, I'm, at, I'm back in the back talking to the pastor after the service and talking to some other people, just greeting. Easter Sunday morning, here she comes. They brought her upstairs. The nursery was downstairs. They brought her upstairs. She had this little Easter dress on. She was so cute, big bow in her hair. And somebody had given her this little bunny rabbit Pez dispenser, you know, for Easter. And she has this thing, and she sees me. She locks eyes. She's like, did it? And she's running towards me. She's got this thing holding it up in the air with this little one-and-a-half-year-old run across. You know, she was this little, she was about as round as, she, you know, as wide as she was tall. She was this cute little roly-poly thing in her little dress and her big bow. And, and everybody's like, oh, she's cute, you know. And anyway, I like, so she has this little Pez dispenser candy thing. And so she knows there's, there's some little toy in there, but she knows there's candy. And that was my daughter's love language was candy. And so anyway, I, I, I get down on, on my knee, and I'm going to open it up and give her a piece of candy and, and anyway, I'm just like, man, I'm going to have all these little pieces of candy. Let me just go ahead and stick them down inside the little, you know, the little Pez dispenser. So she's watching every move. And by the time I'm done, I get them all put in there. She sees the paper. She sees the toy. Somehow, someway, the candy has somehow disappeared. Now, I got the head pulled back, a piece of candy sticking out. And she just goes ballistic. I mean, folks, I'm talking cute no longer. <laughs> I mean, I mean she's like on the floor. We're talking kicking, screaming. We're talking weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. It was bad. You know, all these people who just thought she was so cute. Now they're going, <laughs> I'm like, I mean, uh, you know, it was so bad. I mean, I had to pick her up and take her into the pastor's office. He had a little love seat there. And I'm, I'm trying to reason with my, you know, one and a half year old. And she's having none of it. And I finally get her calmed down. Then I got, I mean, I take the little toy, I pull the head back, I got a piece of candy sticking out, I gently help her pull out a piece of candy, and then just, you know, total change in her demeanor. She's like, oh. <laughs> Pops it in her mouth like, oh, okay. You know, I'm sitting there with my daughter, middle of Michigan, Easter morning, what, 14 years ago? And I start weeping. And the reason why is I was, actually, I was actually right in the middle of the biggest trial that I'd ever been in. My wife and I, just some things that happened we didn't understand. We're just like crying out to God. I mean, like, to this day, I still don't understand. And I, I, I remember just God using this little situation. I was just right in the middle of it, just every day, every night, just wrestling and God used this situation. I'm sitting there with my daughter. And I mean, he just broke me. Because you know what? My daughter, she didn't trust me. Let, 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 let me ask you a question. I, I, I wonder how many of you sitting in this room right now, you actually really believe that God is withholding something good from you. Because that's what my daughter believed about me. It's actually what I believe about God. I believe that he was withholding something good. Um, or maybe, maybe on a flip side for you, it's not that he's withholding something good, it's that he's allowed something bad. Folks, do we believe that we have a God who 
loves us and is in the midst of doing what is good. And even if it's hard and in and of itself, the actual trial, you know, it's, uh, the, 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 the sickness, the struggle isn't in and of itself good. Do we believe that because he's a good God that we can trust him? What does it look like to trust him? Well, in the last verse, man, there's only really one word of what we're supposed to do here. And I just got to be really honest with you. I wrestle with this word. I don't like this word at all. Verse number 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Folks, can I be really honest with you? I don't like the word wait. I mean, we don't really, as a culture, we don't really like the word wait, you know. Amazon, two-day free shipping isn't fast enough. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, actually, I actually live really, really close to an Amazon warehouse and um, our house. And, man, I mean, I get on, I look in the morning, man, it'll get there by the afternoon for me. I'm like, don't make me wait two days, are you kidding? I mean, listen, well, that's, that's our culture, right? Don't make me wait. Man, we want things, we want things right now. And I, I know that there is, that there's more than a time aspect. I'll talk about that in just a sec, but there is a time aspect. Folks, our, aren't you, God's timing is not our timing. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Um, folks, there is an aspect of we don't know what's best, and he does. And so the trusting him, there really is a time aspect of waiting. Actual time. Are you in the process of waiting? At the same time, I think there's a spiritual aspect to, to waiting. And I think, I think a word that really wraps it up the most, and we find this word throughout Scripture all over the place, is really in the midst of our waiting is, is really spiritually there's a resting. Are you good at resting? I personally, I'm a good rester. You know, when I get done at a, at a day, you know, I, I go, we get up, we, we roll, roll all day long. I typically, um, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good rester. I rest pretty well, you know. Um, I don't know, some people really toss and turn a lot at night. I really, I actually, I, I can fall asleep like that. Now, sometimes I may wake up. And I may, uh, whatever, but I, I mean, I, I can fall asleep anywhere. I mean, I'm like, I'm gone. They put me on a plane. My, my kids hate watching a movie with me. It can be like the funnest, most action-packed movie in the world. And I'm like, within five minutes, I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm gone. I just, I just sleep. I don't know. I, I rest pretty well. I don't know. If we were going to have a resting contest, I might be able to beat you, all right? I should be a professional rester, all right? Um, but folks, uh, you know, when I lay on my bed, when I lay on my bed, I mean, I love my bed. I don't, I don't you know, I, I, I don't want anything working. I just want everything. I just want to rest. I mean, even just standing here, I got all kinds of muscles working. You just standing, sitting, sitting, you still have muscles working. You know, when I lay on my bed, folks, I want, I want nothing. I mean, I want my involuntaries, my heart, my lungs. I want them to keep doing their thing, right? But, but folks, I lay on that bed. I don't lay there all tense going, oh, I hope this thing's going to hold me up. No, folks, there is a ceasing from working that takes place in resting. We cease from striving. 
Folks, I personally think that, that God making us rest physically is one of the most amazing moves on the part of God. This was not post-fall. It was pre-fall in the Garden of Adam and Eden. Eden. Uh, the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Pre-fall, God planned for us to rest. God was making a statement from the very beginning that we're not supposed to fix everything. Folks, you want to know what you want to know what what you get what you fix when you're asleep? Nothing. He wants us to spiritually take our hands off and rest. There is the waiting upon the Lord in time aspect. There is the waiting upon the Lord in the resting. Folks, we are ceasing from striving and we're saying, God, I'm not supposed to fix this. You know, who are we still trying? What, what are we still trying to fix? You still trying to fix your business? Still trying to fix your finances? Folks, it's not like we bury our heads and don't work. It's not like we're not responsible. But folks, I mean, we struggle. We're full of worry and fear and anxiety. And Folks, there is one who does not sleep. There is one who does not slumber. It's not me. And it's not you. Folks, we have got to rest. We have got to wait upon the Lord. If we will, he says that we will rise up with wings like eagles. We will run and not be weary. We'll walk and not faint. Folks, I'm not sure what the struggle maybe is in your life, what's going on. I think it would be so good for us just to come to God tonight, though. Maybe, maybe, maybe God's convicting you because in your heart you're really doubting his sovereignty. Maybe in the midst of it. You know, you're, you're, you're like, you're like um, Rabbi Kushner who just, man, I'm not going to give up on God's love for me. But both can't be true, so I'm struggling with his sovereignty that he's really in control. Or maybe you're like so many others who you say, no, nah, I believe he's in control. But God, in the midst of it, do you really care? God, do you really care? Um, folks, I'm not sure what maybe the wrestling point might be for you. I don't know what trial you're going through. I don't know what struggles going on in your marriage or with your kids or with your work or with your body or with your parents' bodies. I don't know. I mean, I could probably just keep on throwing out tons of possibilities that are just real. Folks, are we trusting him? Are we waiting upon the Lord? Um, I'm not sure what maybe how God would want to use this in your life and what maybe the needs are, but can we just come to him? I think it'd be so good. I'm going to have Adam jump on the piano and folks, let's just come to God and say, God, here, here it is. Here's my struggle. Here's my, here's my point of suffering. Here's what I'm, I'm really struggling to rest about. Here's what I lay awake worrying about. God, here it is. Would you please help me? Would you please help me? Folks, let's just have our heads bowed. Let's just have our eyes closed. And I'm just going to have the piano play through just for, just for one verse.
Father. We come to you. Lord, we pray that you will just help us. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, I don't know what kind of struggles are represented in this room. And Lord, I know that um, we need to constantly be coming to you, asking for your help, asking for your wisdom. Lord, trusting you because you're a good God who doesn't make mistakes. Lord, you know what's going on in our lives. Lord, you love us. Lord, please help us to be people who lay aside our worries and our fears. And we be people who trust you. In Christ's precious name, we pray.